Magazines and Monsters, Episode 77, Black Sunday from 1960. Not since Dracula stalked the earth has the world known so terrifying a day or night. It's I who renounce you, and in the name of Satan, I place a curse upon you. Black Sunday is like no motion picture you've ever seen. There are those who believe and those who do not. But both must know the suspense, the shock of meeting the living dead and of bringing the dead to life. Embrace me. You will die. But I can bring you pleasures mortals cannot know. Black Sunday. The most terrifying motion picture you'll ever see. Satan, wearing strange robes and fighting with all the furies of Hades, arouses the countryside to a frenzy of black terror. everybody billy d aka doc strange here back with another episode of the show and i am in the midst of my big halloween craziness uh so there's movies and horror comics uh, left and right being uh, published here and uh, for everybody to enjoy uh but this is actually you know a film discussion here and it's a film uh, especially by a director that i've been wanting to cover for a very long time so what i did was i thought you know i'm gonna make the whole month of october 2023 about mario bava and what better place to start than his sort of a di directorial debut, uh, officially, I guess we can say, uh, uh, Black Sunday. And I have a brand new guest to the show here, a uh, guy I've known for a long time. He's a comic book creator, and we will definitely get into everything he's got going on. Uh, welcome to the show, Brian Baugh. How are you, man? Good. How are you doing? Oh, I am fantastic. So you and I have known each other for quite some time, and Right before we started recording, we were discussing, you know, how we got to know each other. And uh, we had a, mu a mutual friend who used to be uh, a, a podcasting lunatic who would put out tons of tons of podcasts. And a lot of times he would uh, spotlight horror comics and he would talk to indie creators. So, you know, you have an indie comic that you've been. Oh, my gosh. How long have you had uh, Wolf and Batsy out for now? Uh, I created my comic Wolf and Batsy in December of 1999. Holy crap. Yeah, yeah, I was I was thinking it was quite a long time ago, but I wasn't sure it was that long ago. Wow, so over 20 years now. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was creating the comics on the side of my job and uh, family life. So, 
you know, I was only able to create so much, but uh, I've got about four trade paperbacks worth of material. And uh, and after many years of doing it uh, on, in this very small self-published kind of way with a very small loyal audience, uh, in January 2021, uh, Alterna Comics picked it up. And since then, they've been publishing it as a regular ongoing series. Mm, so it's, yeah. it suddenly has a whole new readership that it didn't have before, and it's been a blast. Yeah, I've uh, grabbed a couple of their comics. They had a really good sale. I think it was last year, maybe even the year before now. I don't know, man. The, the years just fly by anymore. In the last couple of years, they had a sale mm-hmm. on their website. I'm like, you know, I've seen them on social media. Uh, I, I'm going to grab a couple of books. And uh, the, the one was like more of a teen plus kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, think, I think it was more of a sci-fi, sci-fi slash horror type thing, which was pretty good. But mm-hmm. I was blown away by the all ages comics I got from them. And for the life of me, I can't remember the name of it, but is there's a skeleton guy and yes, Mr. Crypt. <laughs> oh my gosh. That was hilarious. I loved it. I thought it was great. I'm like, Oh, yes. man, I'm going to recommend this stuff to everybody. It was a blast. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Really fun kids comic there. Uh, I shouldn't say kids comic, all ages comic. Uh, let, let's right. Say, let me, yeah. Let me make that distinction because I am no kid. I am far from a kid. But uh, I mean, mentally, I am. But uh, <laughs> my driver's license says I am not a kid. So right, uh, I have that problem I, too. <laughs> yeah, I, but I really enjoyed that. It was fantastic. I I really enjoyed it. Thought, man, more people need to know about these guys. But we will definitely get into you know uh, alternative more Wolf and Batsy after our discussion here. But why don't we jump in here and you know uh, you're a big horror fan, obviously, with comics and with films too. Uh, so why, why don't you, uh, you know, let me know, like, kind of what was your inroads to uh, horror, uh, especially uh, through films? Uh, well, my love, uh, fascination with horror movies goes so far back, I don't even remember when it started. Uh, my earliest memories is watching the black and white horror movies, the Universal Monster movies on Saturday afternoons uh, with my dad when I was a real little kid, you know, Wolfman. Frankenstein, King Kong, <laughs> all those. Mm-hmm. When I was a little kid, uh, on Saturday afternoon, uh, Shock Theater with Doctor Creep uh, mm. in, in yep. Dayton, Ohio, and uh, and uh, so it started there. Um, and then I remember <laughs> when I was in first grade, a movie called Alien came out, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and and uh, and my dad uh, left me and my little sister with uh, our grandparents to babysit us. And Dad comes home from that movie, and he goes, he goes. Brian, you gotta see this movie. He goes, there's a monster. <laughs> he goes, there's a monster in this movie. It's just a guy in a rubber suit, but it's a million times more realistic than Godzilla. <laughs> so he took <laughs> me to see Alien, and I saw Alien in the first grade, 1970. That's awesome. Eight or nine or whatever year that came out. <laughs> That's so awesome. I, Good so dad I was never, there. <laughs> yeah, I was never scared of monsters. I just saw them as these awesome magic tricks and. You know, and uh, so then I was just the right age to grow up with the 80s horror movies. And, you know, I got my first Fangoria magazine when I was nine or 10. I can't remember, but but <laughs> but, uh, cool. you know, just totally obsessed with monsters and horror my whole life. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mon- monster kids are the best. You know, I was lucky enough to. Oh, I guess I shouldn't say lucky. enough. Uh, let me rephrase that. I grew up in a single parent home, so mom was working a lot. Uh-huh. So that meant I had a lot of free time. So when mom wasn't around, I could watch whatever I wanted to watch. So, you know, <laughs> I was watching uh, all sorts of things like that, too. You know, it was like it, it, you just said, you know, the, the horror hosts, I know they're other, you know, you have Sven, Sven Gulli on TV yet, but mm-hmm. it, it just doesn't seem as big of a thing as it used to be. But, you know, when like, you know, 
we were kids, that was a huge thing. They were on like mm-hmm. literally, literally like I felt like every channel, whether it was out of New York or uh, Philadelphia for me, you know, because I'm mm-hmm. in Eastern Eastern PA. There, there was at least two or three over the weekend that I could tune into every weekend. And that's what I did. And I loved them. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, we're talking about an era before home video. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, if the Invisible Man was only on on Saturday night, you had to watch it or you weren't yeah. going to see it again for possibly years, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so there was a um, an urgency to make sure you were home on Saturday night or afternoon, whichever time they were showing it, you know. And we mm-hmm. watched the newspapers for the listings and, you know, yeah, anytime, TV guide. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I had my fingers crossed for the Wolfman or Frankenstein meets the Wolfman or uh, Gargoyles. Remember the 1970s? Oh, yeah. Movie Gargoyles yep. with Bernie Casey. That was another one of my big <laughs> Saturday afternoon favorites. That anytime it was on, I'd watch it. You know, so. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Some of those uh, TV made-for-TV movies in the seventies were fantastic. I know. Yeah. Some sometimes people might you know shy away from them because they were you know obviously a lower budget because they were made for television. But oh my gosh, yeah, like you say, Gargoyles. I mean, probably one of the most famous. Kolchak, the Night Stalker. That. Oh, oh yeah, man. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Don't don't shy away from them. Anybody out there that's listening, you it, some of them are cheesy as heck. You know, Killdozer, uh, love it, but you know, very cheesy, but it, a lot of fun. They were always a, a ton of fun. Those movies are great. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, all right. Well, you know, you and I here we're going to be you know diving into Black Sunday from 1960, and this is you know uh, you know an Italian uh, made film here. But Bava, you know, this was, you know, like I said, officially his directorial debut, but he had, you know, kind of been behind the camera a little bit, helping out on some other movies. And, you know, he had uh, uh, done some cinematography on some of those uh, Hercules films from the late 50s there. I've, uh, you know, watched bits and pieces of some of them, and you can definitely see, you know, he had an eye for certain things. And and I'm not surprised he has the following he does now and has had for, you know, quite a few decades now you can really see he he did have something there was something to his there was a method to his madness yeah i believe if i'm not mistaken he was mentored by ricardo freda and i think he kind of co-directed um kaltiki the immortal monster mm-hmm. and yep. but i think and and also evampiri i believe was that before black sunday i might be mistaken on that i think it was before black sunday but i know that he kind of helped like co-directed on some of those and then and then mm-hmm. black sunday was his first big one where you know, he got the full director credit all himself. Yeah. And I know, too, like it's uh, documented where, you know, he wanted to kind of capitalize on some of the, the the horror buzz that was starting back up from Hammer there in the late 50s as well, mm-hmm. um, because they obviously, you know, it, it's not that horror had disappeared, but it definitely had waned as the 1940s went on. And, yeah. you know, you had Creature from the Black Lagoon that was kind of like that was kind of the end of, you know, Universal and. And they're big, you know, heavy hitters. And by the late uh, 50s there, then that's when kind of Hammer came in and, you know, you know, turned everything on its head with, you know, their Dracula and Frankenstein and being in color and blood and cleavage and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they they, they, they kind of, you know, ramped things up and, you know, uh, got things back rolling again. And, you know, they were doing their thing in the UK. And then you had uh, this guy, this uh, kind of maverick Mario Bava here that, uh, like I said, it, it, over in Italy, he was going to do his thing over there. And he started to make you know, some some really good films. And again, basically, you know, for more or less starting with uh, this film here. And, it, you know, he chose a, a leading lady here that, you know, she was, you know, a young actress at the time, but a very stunning lady, uh, you know, Barbara Steele. So what are your thoughts on her? My favorite actress of all time. 
Mm. Hands down. Uh, just, my gosh, I mean, I, I, just an amazing uh, screen presence. I mean, obviously she's gorgeous, but she has an unusual, strange quality to her face. And she's got those piercing eyes and, and uh, but a great actress, you know, great range. I mean, she played a lot of different types of characters. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Black Sunday made her such an icon, I think. And also, I think also uh, her uh, performance in uh, Pit and the Pendulum, even though it was a small role. Mm-hmm. I think I think she got that because of Black Sunday. So the one two punch of those two movies, I think, really turned her into, uh, you know, uh, an actress that people wanted to use in, in movies. And and uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm always thankful that she wasn't one of those cool actresses who does one great movie that you love. And then you're like. You look her up to see, like, has she been in anything else? And <laughs> you find out that's the only thing she's done. Like, no, Barbara Steele has this long, uh, long um, filmography of, of movies that she appeared in. Uh, lots of really cool horror movies and genre movies and gothic Italian movies and all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, for me, when I see her in a film, she is usually, and, you know, I don't want to take anybody off that's a fan of any of the other actors or actresses, but she is usually the person that jumps off of the screen most to me, if not all the time in every film she's been in. And that's not easy yeah. to do. Yeah. I mean, she's an, ex- she's like a female Boris Karloff or mm-hmm. a female Bela Lugosi, you know, <laughs> or a female mm-hmm. uh, Lon Chaney Jr. You know, she's, she's one of those iconic actors uh, who, you know, no matter what she's in, she's interesting to watch. No matter how good the movie is, no matter how bad the movie is, if she's in it, it's at least interesting to watch because of her. Mm-hmm. Um, she just projects something awesome. You know, it's it's not just that she's beautiful. It's there's something strange about her that just translates through a camera. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, she she has like an it factor. It's one of those things that's yeah. hard to explain. But exactly she, whatever that whatever it is, she has it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean. I, I mean, I, I love her in Black Sunday. I, I, I think I might love her even more in uh, The Long Hair of Death. Oh, Margaretti, yeah. Yeah, she's amazing. Uh, Castle of Blood, she's amazing in um, An Angel for Satan. <laughs> she's mm. scary in that one. Uh, and Nightmare Castle, uh, where half of her face gets burned off. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yeah. She, like you said, she's she's one of a kind. There There really isn't anybody else like her. Yeah, yeah, she's great. She, Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it, it, like we said, it, this is a directed and the stories by Mario Bava. He kind of based it off of a a book and uh, a a horror novella by Nikolai. Uh, oh boy, Gogol. Gogol. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. I'm gonna probably butcher some names here, so don't don't get angry, uh, Europeans. <laughs> here, you know, trying to trying to not get a, any of them angry at me here, but uh, you know. Other than Mario Bava, there are some people behind the scenes here. You know, you and I talked, you know, for a few minutes, and there's basically they, they AIP, they saw this film, and they thought, hey, we want to bring this film to America, but they cut out some parts that they thought either were a little too much for American audiences or, you know, were, were not something they'd be interested in, and they also uh, changed the score as well. And, you know, you and I talked about it, and it's – it, this film is definitely better seen in its original, most pure form. I even commented on, you know, I'm not a big fan of dubbing. Um, even in the, the the best case scenario, I would almost rather see this just in Italian and they, you know, uh, have uh, subtitles. I think it might even hit me more that way. But, you know, you were saying about the uh, Blu-ray release you have, right? 
Yeah, I have the uh, Kino Classics uh, Blu-ray release. Um, it's the Italian version. Uh, it is dubbed. Um, but I find it superior to the American AIP version for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, the Italian version has all of the graphic violence and gore that us horror fans love so much. Mm -hmm. um, um, and also, I think it has a superior musical score. Uh, the music is by, uh, Nick, uh, what is it, Roberto Nic Nic Nicolosi? Nicolosi, yes. Mm -hmm. Roberto Nicolosi, yes. Mm -hmm. um, and the music is magnificent. It's really, really good in this version. And I, I'm aware that uh, when they released it in America for AIP, I believe, mm -hmm. uh, they, they were sort of looking at it and saying, okay, number one, we have to cut out the gore. Number two, we want a more Americanized musical score. So they had a new score added, which was by Les Baxter who was popular in America. And, mm -hmm. and also there's a romantic kind of lovey dovey scene in the middle <laughs> where uh, <laughs> uh, she's mourning the death of her father. And uh, John Richardson goes out there and comforts her. And, uh, and it goes on a little long and he, there's a little bit of romantic uh, talk. And I, I'm, I, I read somewhere that, that AIP sort of looked at that and said, okay, you know, we're selling this as a horror movie that's going to play on Saturday matinees for kids to watch. You know, if we leave that in there, they're going to be throwing popcorn at the screen. So cut mm -hmm. that down. <laughs> <laughs> so that scene got snipped just because they were playing to their audience. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, but, but, uh, but overall, I just find this um, Italian version highly superior just for the, the blood and gore and the more graphic, visceral, visual horror moments not being cut out and also um i i like the score better so. mm -hmm. yeah the, you can find that this happens a lot late 50s and 60s where uh you know uh, whether it was uh, spain italy the uk they were willing to uh, get a little edgier with their films that uh, theaters and you know uh, movie you know distribution arms over here in the states were were not uh, <laughs> were were not uh, willing willing to try those things. They were not willing to push the envelope that far. So they would take those movies, cut out whatever parts they thought would you know har mm -hmm. har harm the little kids, and uh, yeah. they would they would put them out over here, which they would still be big successes over here more often than not as well. But you know if you're somebody who loves horror films, it is definitely best to try to see these in their you know, uh, original forms that before they were touched or cut up, or like you said, uh, something like a score is huge for a film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, when you change that, that's, uh, that's, that's definitely going to make a, a big, big difference. You know, whether you're just a casual fan or like a mega fan, like kind of like, you know, crazy about films like that, like we are. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, you know, we have, like I said, Barbara Steele here and th there's one other, uh, non-italian uh, actor in this film and it's john richardson and that's a guy that i definitely know too i you know you could recognize him you know right away in this film and he did a ton of other stuff as well uh a, a lot of uh you know uh, sci-fi horror films he did some uh, films for hammer as well you know so he's he's definitely a face you will you know uh you'll, you'll recognize from british horror for sure you know right yeah i always think of him uh, for uh, 100 million years BC. Mm hmm. Yep. Yeah. For me, it's like she, that one with the uh, Cushing. Uh -huh. I always think of that one too when I see him. He's that's he's that guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
But yeah, so there was uh, you know a, a few other uh, uh, players here that, and uh, I'm going to try to uh, <clears throat> run through their names here quickly. Now I'll start with again. Though, I'll start with Barbara Steele. She plays a dual role. You know, uh, before we like kind of get into a plot of it, uh, she plays a uh, Aja as they pronounce it uh, in this film in an early scene from the uh, 1600s, yeah, which we will get into because uh, it's one of the best scenes in the whole film. Um, and then she, you know, plays uh, another uh, character, Katya, uh, very much later on, a couple hundred years later. And then John Richardson, uh, he uh, plays uh, Dr. Uh, Gorobek, uh, who's an interesting character. You know, he's kind of like the leading man here uh, mm-hmm. in, the, in the very early stages of the film. He's kind of like the, the junior man of a, uh, a, a team of uh, two uh, doctors. But mm-hmm. yeah, he, he quickly becomes like the guy in the film and the love interest for uh, Barbara Steele's character, Katya, as well. Um, and then we have uh, another interesting character, and uh, this is Andrea Chechi, I will say. And this is uh, uh, he plays uh, Dr. Kruvayan, and he's an interesting character too, major player in this movie till about 75% of the way through. Mm-hmm. Again, we, we will get to why. Uh, and then <laughs> uh, Ivo Garani as uh, Prince Vajda, and uh, he's He's in the movie for a bit, you know, we'll get into him as well. But then uh, Arturo Dominici as Igor Yavutic, and he yeah. is uh, probably the biggest creep in this movie. We will, I can't wait to talk about him. He I, is, I oh adore God. Yavutic as much as I adore Barbara Steele. Mm-hmm. He's incredible. I think he might be Bava's greatest villain in all yeah. of the yeah, super, super creepy guy. And then, I mean, there's mm-hmm. like, you know, an innkeeper and a priest and, you know, a a servant and all that stuff, too. But those those are really the the, the main players that, you know, we're going to uh, talk the most about during this uh, discussion. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess the other the other, one other major character might be uh, Katya's father, mm-hmm. uh, Prince Vita, I believe he's referred to. Yeah, that's uh, Ivo Garani, I think is his name. Oh, boy. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry yeah, for not yeah. pronouncing that correctly. There there was a, you know, Katya. She did have a brother here, too. He was he was bouncing around, too, for a little while. He, I would say he was Constantine. Yeah, Constantine is the brother, and he was played by Enrico Olivieri. Uh, again, if I'm uh... now he's interesting because he starts out seeming pretty inconsequential, but he actually plays an important role later on. He does. And it was funny. Uh, I hadn't watched this movie in quite some time before I was preparing for it. So uh, once he looks like he makes an exit, I thought that was it for him. But he yeah. he he does make a comeback. So yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I totally forgot about that yeah. part. So when it happened, I was like, oh, there he is. So that that was <laughs> that one yeah. really had me like, oh, what? Wow. Oh, I forgot about that guy. But yeah, so that's that's pretty much it there. So, you know, if you're if you're ready here, I'll just, you know. Uh, do a quick little synopsis here. You know, I'll just, you know, read it's It's just, you know, basically the first uh, paragraph from wiki here. That's, that's basically, and then we'll just jump right into the opening scene. If you're, you're good to go. Sure. So black Sunday uh, is a 1960 Italian Gothic horror film directed by Mario Bava in his official directorial debut, starring Barbara Steele, John Richardson, and the rest of the players who I will not butcher their names. Uh, loosely based on Nikolai Gogol's short story, uh, v, I would guess how you would pronounce that, V-I-Y. Mm-hmm. Uh, the film takes place in Moldavia and tells the story of a witch who is put to death by her brother, only to return two centuries later to seek revenge upon his descendants. So, okay, the beginning scene to this movie. Um, I will just say uh, I definitely saw this movie when I was fairly young, and 
it kind of starts out like, you know, with a, a graveyard scene. And I'm thinking, OK, this is cool. Uh, but then something we will touch on in a minute here happens that I wouldn't say it scared me. It definitely shocked me when I saw it happen, because I, I guess maybe in my brain, I didn't think they would show it on television. But again, this is probably mid 80s where I had seen it. So uh, by then you were, you know, we had already had, you know, the big boom of the the slasher films come through. They were in full full torque so i guess i sh- shouldn't have been surprised but just for mid-80s television i was kind of surprised but what did you think of this graveyard scene to open up here of the you know the uh the scene we're about to talk about what did you what did you think of this opening scene well the atmosphere is amazing and mm-hmm. it's it's obviously shot on a set but in a wonderful way where it has this you know su- uh, surreal kind of quality to it mm-hmm. um the thing that always strikes me about that opening scene is uh, Bava's use of uh, tree branches. Mm-hmm. Uh, all throughout the movie, he does it, but he does it really well in that opening scene. And he does it in a lot of his movies, I've noticed. But but uh, he's always got these creepy tangled tree branches in the foreground. He uses mm-hmm. them to frame certain shots. He, ma- he uses them to make certain shots more interesting. Sometimes he'll pan the camera across them. Even when he wants us to look at somebody or something in the background, you know, he'll follow them with his camera and have these gnarly tree branches drift by in the foreground. And it just makes it just makes the moving camera shots so much more interesting. I just I, I just it's so aesthetically pleasing and and creepy, too. You know, it's classic mm-hmm. horror imagery. But he yeah. is like an artist, you know, it's great. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's basically a, a beginning scene here in a graveyard where we're seeing a a vampiric witch, this Aja uh, being put to death. Uh, for sorcery by her own brother. Yeah. And it, here's another thing that I, I totally forgot about with that beginning scene. Uh, you know, when the brother is, you know, pr- pronouncing the sentence on her to be killed, he mentions uh, Yavutich, you know, her uh, her paramour, uh, as you want to say, maybe you know, her, her partner in crime here. He mentions him and a camera pans to, I'm not sure if he's up against a tree or what, but the the, the, the corpse is laying there kind of on a 45 degree angle up against, you know, I don't know if it's a tree or a tombstone or something. Mm-hmm. I totally, I totally forgot that they show that shot and it's creepy yeah. because there's the corpse there with this iron mask over its face. What about yeah. that? He's already got the mask on. So, you know, they've already dealt with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's, it's strange um, how in the opening scene, they refer to Aza and Yavutich as vampires almost. Mm-hmm. And yet the whole thing is treated more like they're, you know, a witch and a warlock almost. Uh, it sort yeah. of seems like the whole movie kind of blends those two ideas, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the Grand Inquisitor uh, is her brother. Mm-hmm. He's, he even says it in the dialogue. He says, as your brother, I repudiate you. Mm-hmm. And I find I just find that interesting that it's implying that her own brother is the one that's sen- sentencing her to death, you know? Yeah, it's really wild. And she's like, yeah, well, uh, I, I don't like you either. You know, <laughs> kind of yeah. basically says to him like, yeah, well, I think you're a jerk too. And oh, yeah. I, that this scene, uh, you know, when the dialogue happens, all of this is like, okay, you know, this is cool. This is like, you know, very atmospheric, you know, uh, this is something we will go on to see many times in horror films after this back in 1960, other than city of the dead, which came out this same year, I don't know mm. if I'd ever saw a scene like that before. And like mm. I said, you see it many times after, but this, this scene is wild and wow. So they have a branding iron 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, they, they, it's basically curved in the letter S, you know, not uh, Superman here, Satan. And <laughs> right. uh, they have it cooked up at, you know, a thousand degrees and they put it on her back and she mm-hmm. screams. And I was like, wow, holy crap. I can't believe they just did that to her. That was a good one. That was that was this is the beginning of the the, the craziest scene ever here. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you another thing. Uh, I read in an interview one time. I think it was. I, I think I read this uh, interview with Barbara Steele where she said that she had to drink a bunch of wine before they filmed the opening scene. <laughs> <laughs> she said because apparently she'd never been filmed in a in a you know scantily clad kind of outfit like that before and she mm-hmm. had to get a little tipsy to get along to you know go along with it <laughs> oh that's funny and i mean it's it's very well done it's it's not in poor taste you only right. see her like they 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 basically she has like this long gown on and they like open the up the yeah and they open up the back of it for this branding scene mm-hmm. um and like i said she screams and then that's when the dialogue goes back and forth between her and her brother about you know you're getting sentenced for your sorcery etc cetera, etc cetera. and she's yeah, just yeah. like yeah, well, I'm going to put a curse on you, pal. And uh-huh. you know, you're going to get it and you and your children and your children's children. And you know, this this doesn't end well when somebody right. does a curse like this. But at this point, uh, they, they turn her around and they have her up against, you know, again, I don't know if it's a tree or like some really long board or something like that. It almost seems like some kind of wooden contraption where she's flat up against it. And these two like humongous muscle bound dudes with black hoods hold her down. And another guy comes walking over with, you know, what they call the mask of Satan, which on the outside, it just looks like, you know, a, a metal mask of some face, almost like gargoyle-ish. So you're thinking, okay, cool. But uh, Bava, you know, he does this perspective shot where we're seeing this from uh, Barbara Steele's uh, character, Aja. We're seeing this from her perspective where the mask is coming towards her as if they're going to put this mask on her. But there's something a little more unique about this mask, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's got all those <laughs> nails on the inside mm. coming right at the camera. Yeah, and as if that's not bad enough, they they come towards they this guy comes towards her with it and kind of places it over her face as she's screaming because you know she knows this is gonna hurt. Uh, mm-hmm. And another even bigger muscle bound dude comes walking over with, I guess you would just call it a hammer, but it looks like it's about five feet tall. Yeah, and the the you know the, it's on like a wooden handle, and the, the the actual like part that you use to do the hammering, um, it looks like it's like you know as big as like you know my laundry basket sitting next to me here. Oh, the the head of the hammer is like a, a section of a log. It's like yeah, it, it looks like a tree trunk <laughs> with a it's, handle on it. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's, huge. it's it's really huge, and this muscle bound dude picks it up like it's a feather, uh. and and full force swings it. And smashes this mask into her face and head. And she lets out this insane scream. And just a bunch of blood comes like flying out of like the top of her head and the Mm -hmm. eye sockets of this mask. It Mm -hmm. is. That was a scene that I was like, holy crap. I couldn't believe they showed this on TV. When I was looking, I was like, I almost jumped out of my skin. Yeah. uh, A shot that uh, probably set the stage for Lucio Fulci and all the... Mm -hmm. 1980s uh, zombie gore fest type movies to come. Yeah, but oh yeah, when you when you talk about like you said, like people like Fulci or Argento, they uh, I'm sure, and they probably said this in a million interviews that I'm sure uh, Bava was a huge influence on them, starting with this movie. Uh huh. Had to be, absolutely had to be. Yeah. You know his movies. Oh, this, this started the whole Italian Gothic movement. Yep. 
Yep, absolutely. Yeah, you're not kidding. This is he, basically he started, you know, a, a genre in a country by himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he basically did. That's true. Yep. So yeah, the the, the face, uh, the, the scream, the blood flying, and then uh, uh, the camera kind of pans away, and then we see you know a mask kind of uh, getting zoomed in on, and you know that's when we see the name of the movie, and it, of course over there it was the Mask of Satan, um, mm-hmm. and. Uh, they roll credits and a really good music here. Again, you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, the, 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 the music behind this film. And like you said, if you're watching the Italian version versus the American version, you're, you're the AIP version, I should say, you're, you're going to get a little bit of difference there, but uh, the music behind there, you know, uh, is really, really good. Yeah, actually that's something I wanted to point out something about that. Um, so the musical score the, on the Italian version uh, by Roberto Nicolosi, um, there are, especially at this point in the movie when the when the title comes up, there are sections of this musical score that sound a lot like the musical score for uh, Francis Ford Coppola's movie Bram Stoker's Dracula mm. from 1992. I really suspect that Black Sunday was one of the films that Coppola looked at for inspiration when he was developing Bram Stoker's mm-hmm. Dracula, because there are a lot of points in this movie that just strike me as direct uh, inspirational shots, shot choices. And, and, and that music really reminded me of parts of the, uh, the music in that film. Mm. I, there's, there's almost a back and forth, I think, here. I'll, I'll, I have, there's a couple different points in the movie where I'll point things out. There's a, there's a real Dracula connection to Black Sunday, where I feel like Bava was drawing things from Bram Stoker's novel, and I feel like Coppola was drawing things from Mario Bava's film. Mm, yeah, and I, I I would not be surprised by that in the least. I think you know when uh, people were making films when they were relatively younger, I don't think they wanted to say, "Oh yeah, I was inspired by Bava or this film or mm-hmm. this director." They and and it's not. It might be something they weren't doing, you know, to be you know uh, sneaky or anything like that. They just uh, you know they they were subtly influenced by things they had watched and seen. And that, you know, is why they directed a movie this way or whatever. But I feel like as a lot of these, you know, uh, like you said, you know, somebody like Coppola, big time directors, Mm -hmm. as as a lot of them have gotten older, they've come right out and said in some interviews and things like that. Oh, yeah, I was definitely inspired by this. Oh, I love this movie. You know, they'll they'll give like, hey, here's my top 10 favorite horror films of all time. And there are films like this on their list. So that's how, Mm -hmm. you know, they were definitely influenced. Yeah, I, I, I love finding those things in movies. Um the just seeing the lineage of horror history passing down through all these different decades of you know mm-hmm. horror novels yeah. and horror films and everything yep absolutely and all right so the next scene this totally reminded me of you know a, a bram stoker dracula thing we have uh, uh, two characters here uh, in a a carriage going on a carriage ride here uh, going through moldavia to a medical conference and again both of this both of these guys here are our main characters in this one. This is our buddy, John Richardson, who's the Dr. Gorobek and his, uh, he's kind of like the junior man here. He's only been mm-hmm. a doctor. I think he says for like three years, maybe. And the, the senior man here played, played by, uh, Andrea Chechi is our buddy, Dr. Kruvian. And, uh, yeah. they're taking, they're taking a carriage ride, you know, very similar to a lot of carriage rides you see in the Dracula films. And they're going through a very spooky forest here. And, the uh, the guy, that's the uh, coachman, 
Mario Passante, I guess, I think his name is pronounced. Uh, he's a trip. So mm-hmm. he seems like just, a, you know, a regular c- coachman. He's driving them through there. But as soon as anything happens out of the ordinary, whether it's, you know, the, the wheel slipping off of the carriage or, uh, you know, a spooky noise or whatever, he's his nerves are shot. And, you know, it seems like uh, I guess he's using vodka there. Uh, as his uh, pass, pacifier. <laughs> what do you think of that scene there? Yeah, he's he's a nice uh, comedy relief character there that doesn't go overboard with the comedy. It's not cringy or anything like that. He's It's just, Mm-mm. it's the right note. But there's an interesting thing that the coachman says in there where uh, he says he's uh, he acts like he's afraid, you know, to go any further. And Dr. Kruvan says, uh, keep going that way or whatever. And uh, don't be afraid or something like that. And the coachman actually has an interesting line where he says, he says, I fought a whole war against Napoleon. You know, I'm not scared, <laughs> but it's unnatural. What, but I find that interesting because it kind of sets a time period for where our our uh, modern day part of the story takes place. It's sometime after World War One. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, too. I think uh, what does he say? Oh, I guess I think at some point the, the, they stop. And uh, Dr. Kruvian says, hey, go through, cut through the forest over here because, you know, maybe I don't know if they're running a little late or it'll just get them quicker to the little inn they're going to stay at. Yeah. And, that, and that's when the, the guy's just like, eh, I don't know if we should go that way. And he's like, oh, you're scared of the witch. And he yeah. goes like, you know, hey, you know, take a sip of your vodka, basically. And here's like a here's a here's a coin, you know, whatever kind of coin he kind of throws out. I'm like, I'm paying right. the extra. Take us that way. And the guy's like, all right. And. Uh, like I said, they do have a little bit of a breakdown there. They, a wheel slips off, and he's like, oh, don't worry. I'll, I'll get it fixed right away. And the two of the doctors hear you know, a bit of a wailing noise, so they're like, let's oh, go I check it that. out. Yeah, let's go check I, it out. I, and again, I love great. that spooky, spooky, spooky sound of mm-hmm. the, the, the sort of howling through the wind. And and you think it's it's you know the classic horror movie uh, spooky wind blowing sound, <laughs> but it sounds mm-hmm. like a wailing, crying sound almost. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, they, they find the source of it. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. And they, you know, they find the source of it and they're like, oh, okay, this is this is nothing scary. It's like an old pipe organ and the, the wind is just blowing through it and making that noise. And they're like, hey, look, you know, there's like a little uh I think they might call it a chapel, uh, mm-hmm. but there's 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 like kind of a, a little burial site, like a crypt uh, in the bottom of it. And they, yeah. they go down there and investigate, and this is where they see the uh the tomb of uh you know the previously uh uh mask. Uh, adorned uh, Asia, who uh, you know got the uh, the mask smashed onto her face, right? Right. Yeah, and I just have to jump in here and say this is where you really have to just marvel at Mario Bava as a photographer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the interior of that ruined chapel is just beautiful, you know, the way he lights it. I mean, there's mm-hmm. large areas areas of it that are kept in black shadow, and but then like he'll do crazy things, like he'll put a highlight on the cobwebs. You know, which mm-hmm. makes them just stand out like they're glowing almost. Um, it, it's amazing. Yeah, I love the way he shoots that that tomb set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Just you know, the, the the set design there is fantastic. But yeah, the way he shoots it is it, it's pitch perfect. It really, yeah. really is. It, it's great. It's great stuff. And <laughs> yeah, vi- from a visual standpoint, I mean, you can just you know, drool over this movie, just the images, you know, I mean, it's gorgeously, exquisitely photographed. <laughs> it's just one of the most beautiful looking horror movies you'll ever see. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Totally agree with you there. Well, they, you know, they go over and they see this, uh, you know, this tomb and they see her in there with the mask. 
and there's like a glass panel over it. And uh, Gorobek kind of says, like, why do they have like this glass panel there? And Kruvian's like, oh, well, you know, there's a, a, a crucifix right outside here so that, you know, they're they're scared. This will the, the, the fact that they have that crucifix there and then the glass panel that the witch, you know, will you know have to stay in her tomb here. I like that. That was a nice little I, touch. I love that concept, you know, that Azza's coffin has the big stone cross and the glass window that so she's <laughs> for eternity. She spends eternity lying in her coffin, always looking up at the cross to keep her from rising from the dead. <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. such a great idea and and visual, you know. Yeah, it's fantastic. And, you know, the next part here, I want to get your opinion on this. So as they're checking it out, uh, a, a the, the driver yells and he's like, hey, you know, uh, I need help out here. I'm scared. I need help. OK, so Kruvian says, hey, to Gorbeck, hey, go out and help this guy. You know, he's he's a goon. He needs help. He can't even get this wheel back on. And he's scared. Go help him. He's like, OK. And a giant bat kind of like flies out of this like dark spot. Like it, the, the camera moves over to this one place. And it's almost like there's like some kind of like inset uh, piece of the wall. And a yeah. bat comes out of there and tries to kind of attack Kruvion, but he kind of like beats it away with like his cane and then he pulls out a pistol and shoots it and then just pounds on it some more with his cane. And in doing so, he smashes the glass, you know, uh, to the uh, uh, top of the tomb here for Azza's tomb. Yeah. And I was wondering what your thoughts were. So do you think even in her, you know, half dead, mostly dead, dead dead state uh this was something that Azza kind of orchestrated or was this just happenstance with his back coming after him that's a great question and a great way to look at it and i love the fact that we don't know mm-hmm. uh be- because a little bit of mystery and ambiguity in a horror movie is always a good thing and mm-hmm. the fact that bava doesn't spell that out so we can have a conversation about it and wonder about it you know it's mm-hmm. it's fun it's fun to think about and, and wonder about, and it really could go either way. It really could. I mean, what's interesting about Black Sunday is not just the bat thing, but but also, I mean, when they were going at the beginning, after they put the mask on her, they were going to burn her and Yavutich at the stake. Yes. And, and destroy their bodies with fire. But what happens? There's a random rainstorm that starts. And the only reason they didn't burn up their bodies and prevent this entire movie from happening <laughs> in the first <laughs> place was because of a chance rainstorm. So they so they put out the fire, so they couldn't burn them, so they had to just bury them. <laughs> mm-hmm. So so you have that event, and you now you have this bat that seems to be another random attack, and it's really curious how these sort of coincidences are contributing to the allowing the horror to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's almost like it's almost like if that rainstorm hadn't happened, they would have burned the bodies, and this would all been over with way back when. 200 yep. years ago. <laughs> if, if, that, if that bat hadn't attacked Dr. Kruvion and he hadn't freaked out and smashed that cross, <laughs> the rest of the movie wouldn't have happened. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but it's like it's like we have these sort of bizarre coincidences that appear random, but who knows? Maybe they were orchestrated by the forces of evil. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, because that does look like a place where bats would hang out. But yeah. I, I often think to myself, hmm, I wonder if I know Baba was just trying to get people to, like think about it talk about it wonder yeah. hey was this something because it's kind of a you know an evil place with these people buried there mm-hmm. you know so i thought mm, i wonder if uh, he's you know trying to subtly say hey maybe this was the witch here as they yeah. keep calling her it, it it very well could be and it, it's 
and it, it is a very large, unnatural-looking bat. I mean, we only mm-hmm. Bob, Bob only gives us glimpses of it because I think he was aware that he was filming a big rubber fake bat. So mm-hmm. he mostly shows its shadow or puts it in silhouette. Yeah. Um, um, but from what we can see of it, it is it is supernaturally large. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so so that could well be. It might just be a supernatural vampire bat uh, guided by uh, Princess Azza in her undead slumber <laughs> mm-hmm. that that's what i think <laughs> it, it's fun to think about <laughs> <laughs> so all right now this next part is insane so dr kruvian this guy's either uh partially insane or he's got uh, a, a, a set of grapefruits because he, re- <laughs> he reaches down because he wants to take a look at this witch so he reaches down into this tomb and pulls that crazy mask off of her face that got smashed into her. What do you yeah. think of this? Like, what is he? What is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, God. Yeah, that's 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 a harder one to figure out. <laughs> Jeez, logically, he's nuts. Logically, hey, he's but, crazy. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's the curiosity of the scientist or whatever. But I. But you know what? Who cares? Because when he pulls that mask off, we get that amazing shot of her mm. dead face. Oh. With, the, with the scorpions crawling out of her eye sockets. Oh, so I mean, gross. That, that's priceless, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what it's all about. <laughs> yeah, that is absolutely disgusting. Like, that was like, oh, gross. Like, again, I liked <laughs> gross things as a kid, and I was still like, oh, gross. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so, but in doing so, you know, he smashed that glass and cut himself a little bit. And yeah. sort of in a vampire-ish kind of way, uh, this this blood that drips down onto the corpse is going to be what, I don't want to say reanimates Azza, but sort of does. Kind of kind of gets her going. She, like, she's not fully there yet. We'll, we'll talk mm-hmm. about that. But it does kind of animate her enough to, uh, you know, uh, pull some shenanigans here, right? Yeah, yeah. It definitely revives her. It's the mm-hmm. blood she needed. She needed. Yeah, and we do see her kind of slowly revive over time where, you know, uh, what Bava does is he 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 has them say, hey, okay, hey, you know, the carriage is fixed, it's ready, let's go to the, the inn, and they go to the inn. And then it flashes back to the corpse and the blood on her face, mouth, whatever, and yeah. kind of slowly reanimating. And it doesn't all happen in one scene. Like, you know, Hammer, when they would show, you know, Count Dracula reanimating, they would show it all in one scene. Where Bava chose to break it up over at least two or three little uh, yeah. s- snippets, right? What do you, what, what yeah. are your thoughts on that? Good point. That's true. Yeah, he does kind of drag it out, doesn't he? But he kind of has to because he needs her in that tomb at the end. You know, um, he needs her uh, to not be fully revived until the end when she tries to possess Katya much further on. Um, so, I think it might have been a plot device to keep her there in the tomb. Um, because really Yavuta just becomes our main villain as we go on roaming around, uh, killing people and doing all the really bad stuff. Um, but, uh, but it is, it is unusual and different and very cool that, that the blood revives her, but it takes a while. She's mm-hmm. been dead. She's been dead 200 years. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of, uh, nice that she doesn't come back all at once. Yeah, and it's interesting too because some of the scenes, oh my gosh, they're really gross and disturbing too. Of like mm-hmm. her, her, her body laying there, and like this gross, liquidy, gooky-looking stuff in her eyes and stuff yeah. like that. Like, man, he he really he went all in 
yeah. on those small scenes. And again, you think over the course of an hour and a half, they probably amounted to about 30 seconds. But little scenes like that are scenes that really stick in your head. Uh-huh. I'm, not, I'm not trying to make a funny there, stick in your head with the mask, <laughs> but uh, they, that stick in your head when you watch this movie and, you know, you think back on it, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're amazing images. Mm-hmm. And, a so, great, and, and by the way, a great fake head of mm-hmm. Barbara Steele. It's very convincing. Yeah. If, it oh, it's for those, if it weren't for those eyes, you'd think it was her lying there with dead makeup on. I mean, it, look, it looks really good. Yeah. Is there something uh, really important here that happens as well as, you know, Dr. Gorbeck and Kruvian leave to go back to the uh, the, the, the coach? Uh, they meet somebody out in the uh, uh, I don't know, courtyard or whatever you want to call it. I guess, you know, her, her, her ancestral home, her family home is uh, very close to this place. Uh, they meet Katya Vajda. And uh, that is the, the, the beautiful Barbara Steele here in her dual role. Uh, what did you think of that scene with her, with the dog and the black cloak? Great scene, right? Oh yeah. I mean, and this is probably the most iconic shot in the whole movie. I mean, this image of Barbara Steele standing there with the two big black dogs mm-hmm. in, her, in her black robe underneath the arch of that ruined chapel. I mean, that shot has been reproduced in countless film books and articles on this movie. Uh, even just articles about Barbara Steele, they use that image a lot. So, mm-hmm. so it's it's really probably the most famous image from the movie. And of course, it's just it's just gorgeous because Baba knows how to set up a shot, and it's a great composition with her under that arch, and the dogs are impressive and threatening and intimidating, <laughs> and you don't know if she's, uh, you know, good and beautiful or if she's dangerous. You know, so uh, it's a great shot. Yeah, I like how how Bava did that because, like you said, you don't know if she's you know the the the, the, the good bad. You don't know what's going on because again, she's dressed in all black. She yeah. has jet black hair. Basically, yeah. all you can see are her hands and her face, yeah. and then these two enormous dogs that look like they are complete killers. Yeah, and and the two doctors just walk right up to her and they're like, "Hey, how's it going?" And I'm just yeah, like, and, uh, and, "No, fact- I would not do that." <laughs> In fact, when you see that image reproduced in books and magazines, I always forget that that's Katya, not Asa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because she does look so intimidating in that shot, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. It's easy to forget that, no, that's the good girl. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm thinking he probably did that on purpose to kind yeah. of show you like a little foreshadowing there. Yeah. You know, but yeah, she, she looks fantastic there. Like you said, she, she's awesome in these films. Everything mm-hmm. about her is awesome. And like you said, gorgeous lady, too. She's standing mm-hmm. there. And, uh, Dr. Gorobek, he, he, he thinks she's gorgeous, too. And we know we can see this right away, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's definitely attracted. Mm-hmm. He's just like he's got those like uh, googly eyes on when he sees her <laughs> like, whoa, <laughs> a yeah, girl. Bob's aren't scaring him away. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they are not. But, you know, they just do a little quick introduction here. And she says who she is and they say who they are. And then. Back to the coach and to the inn, which, you know, I think they're fairly close to it. So it's not like it's a longer ride or anything in the coach. They're pretty much they move on from that scene. And um, like I said, as they're flipping back and forth between these scenes at the inn, that's when we get uh, Aza kind of re getting reanimated from Kruvian's blood there as well. But mm-hmm. uh, what did you think of this part, too? I like how Baba did this, where it's not like she's totally reanimated and she gets out of the tomb and she calls to Yavutich. It's kind of like a. a like a, almost like a mental telepathy kind of thing. She kind of calls out to him mentally. Mm-hmm. And what about that scene there too? That's, it's gotta be the, 
the, the one of the creepiest scenes in the film. First or second creepiest scene in the film. Um, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely interesting. It, it's it, it shows the connection between the witch and the warlock, or the mm-hmm. vamp, female vampire and male vampire. We're never quite sure which. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but uh, but yeah, there. I, I do like that. Where you know they're both dead or undead but they're both um in their graves and they're communicating uh, mm-hmm. yeah and then he uh pushes his way right out of the grave and it's again yeah. really really creepy scene there yeah now i have to say um that scene where yavutich rises from the dead mm-hmm. uh that's my favorite scene in the whole movie mm-hmm. absolutely it's good um yeah that's that's just absolutely my favorite um it's just so perfect uh the way the earth rises up the way it swells and breaks apart in these big chunky clods of dirt and uh there's a there's a perfectly timed gust of wind and makes the fog swirl up around the tombstone (laughs) it's just it's just perfect and then the way his hands come out you know and he clutches the dirt you know and his hands are all slimy and wet looking but he has these big clawed fingernails I mean, yeah. it's like a, it's like a drawing in a horror comic. It's so perfect, you know. And mm-hmm. and then when he rises up and you see his face with the demon mask, and the cloak covered in cobwebs and everything. I mean, it's and and the big dragon on his chest. Uh, <laughs> it's just it's magnificent, you know. It's 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 my favorite scene in the whole movie. It's just so perfect. Yeah, like you said, that especially for me, the part where his hand comes up out of the dirt and like kind of grabs onto these, you know, concrete you know, tombstones or something like that. One and then the other hand come up and these huge clawed looking hands like, wow, that is just amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, he he wastes no time uh, and he heads to Prince Vajda's castle, which is Katya's father. And he he goes right in there. We can see that he's uh, I'm trying to think he like he, he seems like he's almost on the verge of having like a nervous breakdown. And I don't know if they ever say in the film if this is something that has been building uh, for days, weeks or months or years, or if this is just something we're to think is happening because of what is going on uh, over in the, the, the crypt tomb graveyard place. I'm not sure about that. What about what are your thoughts? You're referring to um, Katya's father? Yeah, how he's yeah. kind of being a little like, uh, he doesn't look like he's in good shape. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely um, sickly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we have that whole scene uh, where uh, Bava cuts to the inside of the Vita, you know, Castle Vita or whatever it is, um, mm. and the pace slows down a little bit, but but he's taking his time and he's introducing all the different characters. And yeah, we get the father and he's definitely sickly and not doing well. And, you know, uh, Katya and, and, and her brother Constantine. Um, and we're tra- tracking around the whole room. And we also see something very important in there, which is the fireplace mm-hmm. um, with the big, they call it a griffin, but it looks like a dragon to me. Uh, yeah. Emblem on the back. And, and, and it, you have a feeling that this, the movie is kind of slowing down there, but it seems like Bava is giving you information that's going to be very important later on. Um, mm-hmm. So, so, but, but yeah, the father is definitely not in good shape, and um, yeah, and 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 you know, we come to that scene where he's in bed, mm-hmm. and uh, and we have uh, Yavutich appearing through the fireplace because 
that's for the first time where we see the fireplace open up and we realize that there's a secret passage behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fantastic. That was a great touch there, too. I really like that. And Yavutich comes out of the dark, you know. Um, and again, it's it's another connection point to Dracula, in my opinion. It 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 uh, it you know it looks like it, Yavutich with his mask off looks like the way Bram Stoker described Dracula in the novel. Mm-hmm. A great yep. deal, and and stalking people in their beds when they're sleeping and all of that. Um, yeah, it's it's just so atmospheric and so great. It's. The creepiness yeah. of the building. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Yavutic, and he's a big guy too. Like, yeah, he, yeah. Well, I I don't know what how tall and everything he was and his weight and stuff like that, but he looks like a huge guy to me. So he's yeah. already a little imposing. And then when you throw the you know the the, the makeup on him here as well, it, he looks super super creepy. Like this, yeah. this, this that was a great job uh, in this movie. The, they did a great job with him. Yeah, he looks like he's been dead for two hundred years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he literally does <laughs> while still being powerful you know mm-hmm. he's a great great character yeah the, well the the, uh, the prince here he's able to you know katya's father he's able to ward him off with a cross i think he has there and he kind of disappears um which you know again like we said we thought is interesting because even if it is some kind of a vampire type thing that would work on them or if it's just some kind of you know a demon type thing, you know, witch type warlock thing that would get rid of them too. You would think, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But you're right. I mean, going back to what you were saying, it's it's hard to tell exactly what's wrong with Prince Vita, the father character, mm-hmm. up, up to this point. He just he seems to have been sickly from the start, but it's almost as if he knew, had some premonition that all this was coming. So he's scared even before he's scared, you know. And mm-hmm. <laughs> um, any any. Uh, Words off Yavutich with the cross. And of course, that's what brings, you know, uh, Katya and Constantine into his room. Oh, and there's a butler character who comes into it also. Yvonne, mm-hmm. uh, I believe his name was. And um, Yes, Tino yeah. Bianchi is his name, the actor. Yeah, and they and they tell. Um, oh, yeah. And there's another uh, house servant named Boris, I believe, who appears. Remember? And uh, and they tell him to go uh, go into the village and fetch a doctor. Yes, because he kind of collapses, you know, the, the Katya's father here, he kind of yeah. collapses and they're like, oh, you got to get a doctor. So and she, you know, that again, that was an important meeting there, not only to, to establish, you know, when Gorovec and Kruvian met uh, Katya, you know, to set up the, the, the little romance between Gorovec and Katya, but also that she's like, hey, I know there are two doctors right in town at the end. Go grab right. those guys and bring them here, Boris. And, you know, poor Boris, he's not long for this world. So that's right. We yeah. we see Boris kind of run like, yes, I'll go get them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, somebody different shows up at the inn to get uh, uh, Dr. Kruvi on here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. But but here we here we have the plot point that brings our two groups of characters together. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what's going to bring the doctors to the house uh, to reunite with Katya and meet all the other family members and get involved in the uh, horror adventure to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So our buddy Boris, you know, he basically gets killed before he can get to, you know, the inn. And uh, Yavutich kind of uh, plays the role then of like, oh, well, I'm the servant. So, uh, you know, Dr. Kruvian, uh, come to the castle. You know, we, we need your help here. Uh, you know, Katya's father is is very ill. We, we need your help, you know. So yes. he's like, uh, OK, cool. So he jumps in and they take the little carriage ride over there. But when they get to the, the home... It looks to me like they 
they kind of, uh, you know, park the, the coach around the side. And it seems like it's like the shot when I'm looking at it, it looks almost like the, their ancestral home is, you know, kind of like right in front of us. But as they kind of walk in, it's like a bit of a wider shot. And it looks like that, you know, a crypt and tomb and everything where Aja is and where uh, Yavutich was is literally like, I don't want to say connected to the house, but it's pretty close there, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's worth, yeah, definitely. There's there's a sense of geography going on here where everything, but it's sort of, it's just vague enough for it to all make sense <laughs> in your head mm-hmm. where you can kind of put put together the, fill in the blanks in your in your imagination. But it does work and it does make sense. Um, it's worth pointing out here too. I believe when they first, uh, pull up to the castle and you see that big tower, that castle, I recognize it. I mean, it's been used in a lot of different Italian Gothic horror films. Uh, oh, cool. I mean, I, I think it, they used it in long hair of death. Um, it's, it's one of those famous Italian locations that's, that's been shot for a dozen movies, you know? Oh yeah. Well, you know, but you I, figure they, these, these companies were trying to make movies on the very cheap. So them and hammer and everybody else they they used reused stuff all the time just trying yeah. to shoot different angles or dress it up differently yep and those were real castles that were standing right there it's like you can save a lot of money and have great production value just by using them so a lot of them did um, mm-hmm. but i i have to go back just a little bit and mm-hmm. re- refer to that carriage ride i mean oh yeah again not to keep banging this drum but i mean if that isn't inspired by dracula the novel dracula i mean Yep. I mean, it's, and again, I, I feel like you have this connection point to Coppola's film too, because some of those shots where that carriage is pulling up almost in slow motion. Yeah. And the fog on the ground and, and it, it, it seems to have been a direct visual inspiration for the way that was done in Coppola's film. And so I, I just, I think it's so interesting to see this back and forth uh, between the Mar- uh, the Stoker novel, the Bava film, the Coppola film. They seem to be, there's this sort of... Like a through uh, line. Yeah, like uh, they're blood relatives to each other. <laughs> no <laughs> pun intended. Um, it's just, I just find it interesting. Yeah, and I'm not sure how Bava shot that, but you get the impression that, you know, the carriage is like doing 60 miles an hour. Oh, yeah, I'm, when it really I, gets going. Yeah, I'm sure it wasn't moving left to right, but well, I don't know how, he, how he shot that, but it looks great. Well, he reveals that in uh, his uh, film Black Sabbath mm-hmm. at the at the end of the film after the oh, credits. Yeah. If you remember, if you recall, there's a shot where he has Karloff, uh, yep. Karloff on the horse, mm-hmm. and and it's close up, and you see the bushes flying by, and it looks like he's going 90 miles an hour, and then Bava pulls the camera back, and you realize that he has. A whole bunch of tree branch. The horse is a mechanical horse. It's perfectly mm-hmm. stationary, just bouncing up and down. And in front of the camera, he has a bunch of tree branches on a wheel that is spinning. <laughs> so they're whipping past the camera, and it creates this illusion of that you're flying through the forest with with something going very fast, a horse or a carriage. So I'm sure that's how he did that in this movie as well. Yeah. Yeah. To, and again, you know, you were saying about. Uh, some uh, similarities to something like Coppola's film, which was 32 years later. Yeah. Just, just how much technology and things advanced in those 32 years, just to think of this being 1960 and him having to do something and have the, the wits and the wherewithal to create an illusion, basically uh, that mm-hmm. would make people think that was really happening. Yeah. And fantastic. Bob is a master of that. A lot of his films, I mean, even not even as, Beyond his horror films, I mean, you look at one of his movies like Danger Diabolique, 
mm -hmm. uh, where he he has uh, uh, the the guy appears to be living in this amazing underground uh, secret hideout, which has all this crazy technology and it's huge and vast and all these different vehicles and everything. And it was all done with uh, you know what do you call it? Forced perspective shots. You know, it's like tiny mm -hmm. props in the extreme foreground, close to the camera, and the actors are actually in a very small space. But it's arranged perfectly to create this illusion that you're seeing something much larger than what it is. Pava was a master of those sleight of hand uh, in-camera in effects. Uh, there's there's one, and I, I forget exactly when it happens in Black Sunday, but there's there's one shot where he has the exterior of the castle at night, and it's a black silhouette, and he has the moon come up in the background, and he has, uh, you see one of the windows kind of glow. And and that was all done with a, like a cardboard cutout of a, of a castle painted black yeah. uh, shot in the dark. And then he had like a dimmer switch to create a fake uh, reflection of a moon on the window. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of things like that throughout it, throughout his movies. And it makes them more fun to watch because you feel like you're seeing mm -hmm. magic tricks and it's fun to kind of look at them and go, how do you do that? You know, it's yeah. part of the magic of it. Yeah. You know, there were some shots, European horror, whether like matte paintings and stuff like that. It, of course, mm -hmm. now when you look at them and you know, these things or whatever, and we've seen, you know, how these things were done. It, it's, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I see it now. But again, back in the 50s or 60s, it, it was really good stuff. Like, it wasn't yeah. like you were able to pick that apart if you went to the movies to see this. Yeah, yeah, it's great. So uh, our buddy uh, Yavutich, he brings Kruvian, and I like how they do this scene. So he says to him, you know, like, basically, you know, hey, follow me. And he's carrying a lantern, and Kruvian's, like, maybe, I don't know, 10 feet behind him. But Kruvian's kind of like looking around and taking his good old time following uh, Yavutic, and he keeps getting further and further away from him. And mm -hmm. they get get into the you know the the, the the this this part between the castle and the this graveyard where it gets pitch dark that you can't see anything uh, other than the the lantern. So Kruvian's like, oh okay, there he is. There's the lantern. But he did he does get further and further ahead of him. To a point where he's like, hey, yo, like, hold up, wait for me. And it looks like he stops uh, Yavutic, and he's just standing there, and the, the lantern's kind of, like, swinging a little back and forth. But by the time Kruvian catches up, he's not there. It's just like, it, it almost, I can't, I can't see anything it's hanging from. So yeah. I don't know if it's supposed to be hanging from something, and we just can't see it because the shot's dark. Or Baba was trying to make it seem like it's just levitating there. It's, it's pretty creepy, yeah. right? Yeah, it, yeah, that's a that's a real interesting moment. And you're right; it isn't completely clear if it's supposed to be like floating in the air, like a ghostly uh, power is holding it up, or if it's or if he hooked it on something and it's hanging from something. Either way, it does fall and crashes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, smashes right, and then like a yeah. little bit of a secret passage opens up to Kruvian's right, where you know a little bit of a stone moves away, and he's like, "Oh, hey, what's going on here?" and he goes in and he's right back in the uh, the crypt tomb area yeah. of Aza and gets kind of like locked in there. And we, we know that's not going to end well. <laughs> I, I, I love that moment. It's it's such a nice twist that mm -hmm. after all this traveling around, he ends up right back where he started, basically. And uh, it's great because the actor playing Kruvion, I mean, he looks just as surprised as as we are to find himself walking in and right up to uh, Asa's tomb. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and she kind of like 
I guess for lack of a better term, like hypnotizes him and comes over to him and says, you know, like, yeah, I think she actually does speak to him and says, you know, kiss me. And uh, there's that's that's like another kind of vampiric kind of scene, even though, you know, they don't have the big fangs. Right. Yes. Yes. Uh, She says, look into my eyes and she hypnotizes him. And uh, and it's, it's it's really, really ultra creepy because She's beautiful, but she's got her face is covered in those nail holes, you know. Yeah, the mask was pounded onto her face 200 years ago, mm. and it, it's truly ghastly. I mean, because uh, she just looks very believably undead, and yeah. uh, and, and and to to such an, a degree that when he does kiss her, I mean, it feels necrophiliac, you know. It, it's it's creepy, it, yeah. It's ultra creepy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's really gross and right you know so that you know we know at this point okay now he's you know under her power or he's you know one of them this this kiss was like like a vampire's bite for lack yeah. of a better way of explaining it yeah. um and we do see him then moments later coming into uh katya's father's room to tend to him and you can see right away you know bava kind of you know, like whitened his hair and his skin to make him look almost, you know, zombie or ghost-like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really good scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When he comes in to uh, examine the father uh, character, he Kruvion is fully under Asa's spell. I mean, he is acting as her servant. And uh, is it, I forget, is this the scene where they he notices the bite marks in the father's throat? I he think turns, it is. Turns, I think turns so. His head and he sees the bloody wounds. So, yeah, it, it, so it, it, it's, it's interesting, this sort of strange, vague mix between vampirism and witches mm-hmm. here. Because, because on the one hand, she only had to kiss Kruvion, as far as we know, to, uh, to uh, control his mind, right? But, mm-hmm. but, but uh, Yavutich uh, apparently uh, gave... Uh, old dad the uh, vampire bite mm-hmm. so yeah very strange mix of uh supernatural uh ideas yeah and we we do you know sort of through some dialogue and then just you know uh horror movie osmosis here <laughs> we, yeah. we, we we see that basically you know Asha is she she's going wants to revive herself back to you know full capacity before uh, she was killed back in the the 1600s by you know draining her uh, body double here uh, Katya of her life essence so you mm-hmm. know she can because yeah. she's basically a reincarnated version of her anyway correct yeah I'm, well I'm not sure if she's supposed to be reincarnated or if she's just an, uh, a descendant because yeah because uh, if she was reincarnated you would think she would. Aza's mind would already be in 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 her, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Her spirit spirit would already be inhabiting her, but that doesn't seem to be the case. It seems like they're two very separate people. They just happen to look exactly alike. Mm-hmm. Uh, Katya, which makes you wonder what all the women in between them looked like, <laughs> mm-hmm. all the generations between them. Uh, but but yeah, Katya is the spitting image of Asa, and and Asa, or maybe they didn't. Maybe that maybe uh, the uh, generations of women in between them didn't look so much like Asa because. Because there is some dialogue here that has to do with, I, I forget if Yavutich actually says it or or what, but somebody somebody seems to say that um, that that Katya is the she 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 resembles Asa so much that this is why Asa has chosen her mm-hmm. as the one to inhabit 
because it's basically it's like her re- herself reborn almost. It's that yeah. the resemblance is that close. Yeah. I totally forgot to the part where Yavutich uh comes with the, the carriage from the castle after he's killed Boris. Uh as he's picking Kruvian up, there was a little girl that I guess her parents maybe own this in. They were like, yo, go out to the barn yes. and get some milk. And there's a, a little creepy scene, and she's a little kid, so she's scared. She does see uh, you, uh, Dr. Kruvian get picked up by Yavutich. You know, That's she right. sees she sees him very clearly. So, you know, at, at this point, you know, uh, her Katya's father dies, but uh, Kruvian kind of disappeared. And they're just like, yo, where'd this doctor go? He was supposed to be looking after our dad. And Constantine and Katya are like, you know, where'd he go? He was supposed to be watching our dad. And now he's dead. So, you know, they, uh, you know, they, hey, there's another doctor at the inn as well, you know, Gorobek. So, you know, they're just kind of like, you know, maybe uh, he should uh, come out here and check things out too. But uh, I know at one point they're like, you know, uh, the villagers are kind of like, I should say if it's all the villagers, it might be a lot of servants that are like, hey, where's, you know, where's Boris? But doesn't the little kid find him? A bunch of little kids find Boris dead in like the river? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. His body sort of washes up on the shore. <laughs> that's gross. Of the, yeah. Of, of the river. Yeah. And the poor little kids end up seeing it, which is just awful. And, you know, they're trying to figure out like, okay, you know, he's dead. Like what happened to him? And, you know, uh, all these people are like really like upset about it. Well, uh, the little girl ends up saying like, oh, hey, I saw your buddy, that other doctor, get picked up by the carriage last night. And they're like, OK, yeah, Boris was supposed to take him. And she's like, no, it wasn't Boris. It was some other guy. And they're like, yeah. what, do you mean? what do you mean it was some other guy? And she's like, it was that guy. And she points to a painting of Yavutich. Yes. Y- it's, it's pretty wild. They're like, what? Yes, yes, that's right. These paintings were also established in that earlier scene where we were seeing the whole uh, main the main room of the uh, Vita castle. Um, there, there's one big painting of Yavutich and there's one big painting of Asa mm-hmm. um, that, that hang in that main room. And yes, that's how the little girl recognizes it was him. And then they all become suspicious of that guy. And it's also how Gorbeck will know who, uh, how he will recognize Yavutich later when they meet in person. But mm-hmm. I, think it's, I think it's interesting when, when Gorbeck arrives at the castle uh, and he meets uh, Constantine, Mm-hmm. I think it's in, Constantine doesn't suspect Dr. Kruvian of his father's murder. He's he just blames Dr. Kruvian for leaving his father's side too early and allowing yeah. father to die. That's what he thinks happened. Uh, yeah. so they, don't, they don't they don't suspect that Kruvian may be missing because or or um uh they, they don't they don't suspect that he might have been the actual one who killed the father. You know? Yeah, they don't yeah, they don't suspect foul play at all. They just think yeah. you know, he had been sickly and he had something traumatizing happen, so you know yeah. he he died. But where, where's the doctor that was supposed yeah. to be taking care of him? And they're all just mad at him that he left. <laughs> I think yeah. it's funny how that completely goes right over their heads because nobody's quite suspecting the supernatural yet. You know? No, no, not yet. Nobody thinks there's anything <laughs> silly going on here. Um, but it is interesting that at some point I know too where uh, the Gorabek he goes to talk to a priest. Yes. And and the priest, you know, he's he's not a, a huge character here in the film. He he's, you know, from here till the end, he's 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 there, but he doesn't have a ton of dialogue or anything like that. He's not like mm-hmm. a, a Van Helsing type character in, in right. as far as like action and what he does necessarily, but he sort of kind of plays that role a little bit, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, he does. He it's a small character role, 
but he does have some important things to do in the movie. I mean, it's really talking to the priest that kind of brings Gore back around and makes him accept, okay, this is not normal. This is the supernatural. And because Gorbeck is leaning back on his as like as a scientist, you mm-hmm. know, he's trying to look for a natural explanation for all these things. But, um, yeah, he talks to the priest. He he sees the wounds. He he uh, uh, he learns that Boris had the same uh, wounds as Prince Vita um, and 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 he becomes convinced. And it's sort of the priest that knows the rules and knows what to do and kind of walks Gorbeck through how to deal with these supernatural evil beings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a shot too right around this time of the, the the secret passage you had mentioned behind the fireplace where it opens up, and there's Yavutic and Kruvian there. Yeah, and, and Yavutic says to him like, you know, like go do what you need to do, pal, and it orders Kruvian to you know come back in there, and he comes in, and he it's funny, you know, he played a pretty big part, you know, Kruvian up until this point into the film. But it's not long after this where, you know, he kind of disappears and we do see him in a little while. Like, but yeah. we don't really kind of 100 percent know what happened to him. I felt like I, I, I just was like, did, did I miss something here? Did something happen to him? Yeah, because he, he kind of falls off the, the cliff here. I don't know if they wanted to get him out of the way just because Yavutic is the big bad. Maybe I'm not sure. Yeah, I've I've um, read a few things that said that there were parts of this movie that were being written while they were and rewritten while they were shooting it. Mm. And I've also uh, read some things where they were, where this movie has been sort of examined and, and people have said that there's some shots in here that almost feel like some of the shots were maybe written in a different order than they're edited together. Oh, in the movie. out of sequence. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, 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 or maybe something is missing and that might explain some of the weirdness in this section. Because it's not just that Kruvian kind of gets sent on a mission and then kind of disappears and and we don't see him again until he's in a coffin, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but but there's also some weirdness with Katya in her bedroom where she's undressing for bed and and the curtains seem to move as if someone's hiding behind them. And uh, and then this she's like all the way across the room looking in her mirror as she takes her cross off, takes Mm -hmm. off her, her cross necklace. Mm-hmm. And and a, and a hand reaches out from the curtains as if to grab her, but she's nowhere close anymore. <laughs> so so it, it almost feels like there was some missing puzzle pieces there. And I I, I wonder if, if that's something Bava was doing intentionally that I'm just not getting or, or, or if there was sort of a, something behind the scenes that has been lost to history that we don't know about that where some editing mix-up happened or something. Yeah, it's, you never it's you very never know. Yeah, you never know what ended up on the cutting room floor, as they say. There, yeah. there could have been something there. But, yeah, that's another part, too, where I was just like, okay, you know, she thought somebody was there and got scared. But just their hand from, like, 20 feet away, she does get yeah. up and, you know, scream and run away. Um, but it, it's, it, like you said, right around there is when, you know, Kruvion disappears. And, and I, I I like Yavutic as the big bad guy here, you know, that mm-hmm. has, has to be dealt with eventually. Um, but, yeah, it's just kind of wild to me that Kruvion just kind of disappeared. I'm like... I wonder if they did have a scene that they were going to shoot or, you know, you know, you never know. Maybe it was a money thing. Maybe it was like, you know, hey, we, we only have so much money to work with. We need to cut something. And like you said, rewrite a scene because, uh, like you said, Kruvion kind of disappears and Yavutich is there. The only and then thing, go ahead. I was, well, I was going to say the only thing you really get there is there's a moment where uh, Gorbeck runs back to his room and he gets uh, 
well, oh, I remember what it was. He he tells uh, Katya that uh, he'll get her he'll get her a sedative or something because she's mm-hmm. in a state over her father or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, when he goes back to his room, Gorbeck runs into Doctor Kruvi on there, mm-hmm. and he notices Doctor Kruvi's hair has turned white, and he looks unnatural. And and uh, Gorbeck shows uh, Doctor Kruvi this icon thing. Yeah, uh, that he found at the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and and Doctor Kruvion reacts to it like a vampire who just saw a cross, where he recoils and runs out of the room, and he's gone. But that's pretty much the only thing we get as far as anybody kind of doing away with Doctor Kruvion, as far as I remember, unless I'm forgetting something. Yeah, that thing that Gorbeck has, it's almost like a. Um, I'm not sure how to describe it. It's almost like a wooden. A, a wooden uh they call it an icon yeah where it, it has like two pieces that fold out like almost like barn doors and underneath yeah. is like a picture and some words and i know gorbeck you know takes it to the priest and the priest is like oh well we'll have to you know decipher what this means it's in some other kind of like language or whatever and yeah. i think they eventually use that to figure out how to you know uh kill the witch and her uh, warlock buddy here but uh, I don't know why that would scare him and make him run away. You would think he'd try to grab it and destroy it if that's got some kind of uh, secret yeah. information there. But that's that's pretty much the last time we see him, and he runs off. And, you know, eventually, too, there's a weird scene where it just kind of comes out of nowhere. But uh, there's, like, you know, candles burning all over the place, and one of them starts to light, like, a tapestry on fire. Yes. And the manservant guy, you know, the, the butler character guy, comes in and starts, like, putting the fire out by beating on it with, like, a, a broom or something. And this is where he kind of uh, notices, like, a, it, it, I think it might, might rip through the, the, the painting. Yeah. And he, he sees this is where they figure out, oh, hey, there's a secret passage here. And, like, yeah. you know, let, that's how they figure out these, these uh, you know, zombie, vampiric, you know, uh, witchy people have been moving mm-hmm. about. Yeah, I think that, okay, we were talking about coincidences that may not be coincidences. I think that was on purpose. Oh, for I think, sure. I, I think that was uh, the the evil power of Asa and Yavutich causing that because, because there's an unexplained wind that blows through the room and causes mm-hmm. that drape to uh, catch on fire, hit the candle and catch on fire. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. It's almost kind of like very similar to the way uh, Dr. Kruvion accidentally smashes the cross. Yeah. Swinging at it with his cane. Here we have a scene almost like that where the Butler is swinging at this fire, trying to beat it, uh, out, or extinguish it or whatever, uh, uh, and he accidentally tears through. The, the the tapestry falls down, and it reveals that he accidentally tore through a painting behind it, and it reveals this hole in the wall and another secret passage. Mario Bava mm-hmm. loves secret passages. <laughs> <laughs> he he definitely does. He puts them in a lot of movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then you know the the not. Uh, off used uh, Constantine here. He's, you know, like, oh, let's, you know, figure this out and check things out. And he's trying to kind of get involved with the secret passage. Well, he's he's back there. And uh, so's our buddy Yavutich. And Yavutich is a big, creepy, scary, strong, supernatural kind of guy. So he uh, he takes out Constantine here. It almost looks like he he chucks him down this. There's almost like a, a panel in the floor, like that's open, like you would think like a bottomless pit or something, the way he like chucks him down door. it. Yeah, and he's like, ah, and you're thinking, okay, that's the end of him. He's 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 dead, and you're thinking, okay, it, well, now it's up to our buddy Gora back here and the priest to kind of figure things out. And they do start to figure out, you know, what's going on and how to do away with people and stuff like that. But uh, 
they they this is a, a part two where I think where Gorbeck and the priest they do find Kruvion dead, you know, out in the graveyard in a casket. And I'm just like, like I said, I was kind of just like a little confused. I'm like, what happened here? How did he end up like that? And they don't really ever explain it. They just show him there. He's in there. He's dead. And then they also find the mask of Satan out there as well, like the from the beginning of the movie. I'm assuming yeah. that's probably the one that uh, our buddy Avutich took off. Yes, yes, it is. And and that's sort of the clue that it's almost like they follow the trail. It's amazing that it lasted <laughs> that long. Um, but but it but it, it it almost leads them right back to where his grave is. Mm hmm. Personally, yep. I mean, as cool as Yavutich looks, unmasked and everything, I wish he kept the mask on. <laughs> what, a, <laughs> yeah. what, an, what an awesome horror character he would he would go down in history to be if he always had that mask on. <laughs> I mean, what a great action figure, you know? <laughs> oh wow, yeah, we need we need we need amigo. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we're 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 basically heading into the the last act here now, where you know Yavutich and Aja they're gonna do their their final plan here. They're gonna get a hold of Katya, and they want to you know uh, uh, drain her of her life essence, so Asa can kind of uh, reclaim uh, her her throne of uh, evil here. And you know it's up to Gorbeck and the priest to stop them. And I, I do think it's interesting where uh, a, a crucifix kind of, again, like in a, like a, a vampire kind of Dracula uh, movie, you know, kind of thwarts uh, some of that from happening. But uh, then we, we get, you know, like a, a, a showdown with Yavutich and Gorobek as well. And this is, you know, where I thought, I don't think this is going to end well for Gorobek. Now, he's a, he's a big guy, uh, John Richardson. He's a big dude, too. He's a pretty big mm -hmm. guy. So they're going back and forth and. Just as it looks like he's going to get chucked down into this, you know, bottomless well or pit or something here, Constantine pops back up, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah. Um, it looks like uh, Gorbeck is done for. He's hanging on the edge of that trap door. And Bava gives us a shot from way down deep inside that pit where we see spikes pointing up. So we know that it's a deadly trap. And, uh, and uh, Yavutic uh, being the. Uh, wonderful fellow that he is even tries to help by stepping on uh Gorbeck's fingers trying to smash him and make him fall and right then uh a pair of hands rise up from the pit and grab uh Yavutich and start pulling him down and turns out to be of all people it's Constantine who up to this point seemed to be the most useless character in the movie but <laughs> but, but but now he clearly had a purpose and and uh, here he is Mm hmm. Yeah. And he, he like I said, he kind of pulls him down in there. But this this uh, I, I have a question, though. So mm -hmm. is Yavutich dead at the end of this movie? Well, I like to think he's still around. <laughs> yeah, me too, man. I thought, you know what? He him being alive didn't seem to like it, it, in a way it did seem to coincide with Asa being resurrected. But I kind of felt like, well, once he was alive, like I shouldn't say alive. He's kind of undead. You know what I mean? He's he, yeah. he's he he's he's with us again. I didn't think that meant, you know, if she dies, that he dies too. something. Is he just down in that pit and he's going to try to like claw his way out of there? There could have been a sequel here. Definitely. I mean, look, the guy took a face full of spikes. You're going to tell me that falling into a pit of spikes is going to finish him off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's done he came that back before. from the dead once. He can come back from the dead again. <laughs> yeah for sure <laughs> and then we do have a scene here at the end where uh Gorobek, you know he finds asa and uh, katya but katya is you know like 
half out of it, and and some of her life force has been drained from her. So I don't again, I don't know how Baba did this, but he kind of made it look like she had aged, and we have Asa back looking like. Uh, Katya did in that scene with the dogs and the black cloak, like we had mentioned. So she looks like she looks like Katya. So there's almost like this moment here of, you know, oh, wait a minute, who's who? And of course, Gorobek doesn't know who's who immediately. And uh, Asa, who's, you know, kind of uh, pretending to be Katya at this point, is like, yes, that's Asa over there. Use the, you know, use this, you know, I don't know if he has a knife or something, stab her, kill her, you know, get rid of her. And he he goes to do that, but then he sees the crucifix and he's like, wait a minute. You know, that's that's when he gets it. <laughs> there there's a couple things worth dissecting here. Um mm-hmm. number one, that transformation. Uh when when uh undead Asa grabs Katya's wrist mm-hmm. and you see the life drain out of Katya and her face goes from beautiful barber steel to this wrinkled, gnarled looking face. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then you see uh, Asa's face, who's gnarled and wrinkled, suddenly turn into beautiful Barbara Steele. So that's an, one of those great in-camera effects. Um, mm-hmm. The same technique was used in uh, 1931 for Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde for those transformations. It's a it's a gel effect, where and it only works in black and white photography. But basically. Uh, they paint uh, the wrinkles on the actor's face in uh, like a, a red or green makeup. And then they film through a the opposite colored lens, like a red or the same. Oh, mm. Sorry. So so if, 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 the, if the wrinkles are painted on the actor's face in green, they would film it through a green lens. So it, a gel lens. So it doesn't show mm-hmm. up in black and white photography. But then they would gradually remove that green lens and replace it with a red lens. And then, and then the, you see what I'm saying? The, the, uh, yeah. the, 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 uh, wrinkled makeup would become visible to the camera, but as yeah. long as you're filming it through a lens, that's the same color as the makeup. It's not visible. You wouldn't see it. Yeah. So, so, I mean, it's an old effect. It goes back to the silent days. Uh, they used it for, um, uh, which, which, uh, silent film uh, was it? Um, uh, it's the one where Jesus heals the lepers. The Bible story. Oh, yeah, There's a famous movie called uh, Shh, "The Octopus." It's it's the one with the famous scene where the 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 uh, normal looking older woman turns into a witch right in yes. right before your face, and she's laughing and screaming. Same effect was used there, and most famously in 1931, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, where you see the change gradually happen on his face as he's moving, so you know it's not a stop motion or time lapse photography type thing. Mm-hmm. It's a yeah, it's, so that that's an amazing effect, and Baba uses it here. Um, yeah, and 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 the the whole scene. I I just another one of my favorite scenes in the movie is is here also where uh, Katya is lying there by next to Asa's coffin, and 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 Asa is awake, and she's and she's talking about possessing her, and and she talks about her how she's had her revenge. She says her revenge is complete. You know, what she promised was going to happen has happened. Yep. And she and she and she has a great line. I love this line where Asa is talking to Katya and she says, she says, you felt like me because you were destined to become me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's so great. And then so I'm, I'm backtracking a little bit here. But mm-hmm. but uh, but then when uh, Gorbik sh- shows up, you know, she's she's basically telling him, you know, she's like, like, you know, kill her, kill her, you know, destroy her pretending to be Katya as if she's telling him to destroy the body of Asa. 
and Gorbeck runs over. And it's really interesting. I was watching this. I was looking at it very closely, trying to decipher what the heck it is he grabs to use as a weapon. But it looks almost like a wooden candlestick, and he and it's broken. There's two of them. Yeah. There's one that's whole and one broken, and he grabs one of the broken ones, and it has like a spike through the middle of it. And and he, he appears to be like he's going to use that to to impale her. Oh, and the priest gave the priest. Uh, when they did away with Dr. Kruvion, gave him very specific instructions. You have to pierce the left eye of the corpse, which I think is a very interesting uh, method oh, yeah. of destroying a supernatural being. And so he's preparing to do that. And then, yes, as you say, he sees the cross on 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 her neck, and he realizes, wait a minute, this can't be Asa, because Asa couldn't have the cross. Because mm-hmm. he has seen, he has seen uh, the cross burn the flesh of the other undead beings so so mm-hmm. now he turns on now he turns on the the, the barbara steel who he knows is actually asa <laughs> yeah and that's an interesting scene too when he turns to her and it's interesting too because i it almost looks like she just moves away quickly and yeah. her uh coat whatever you want to call it kind of opens up her robe or whatever but I think, I I don't know, are we meant to think that or see that he kind of opened it, like, to see what was going on there? But either way, we see uh, she's not quite back to 100% yet, right? Yeah. (laughs) The amazing, shocking uh, effect where uh, he pulls open, or her her cloak opens up somehow and and we Mm -hmm. reveals the entire front of her body is a rotted rib cage. Oh, it's gross. <laughs> which, is, which is interesting because earlier we saw her lying there in the grave with her uh, heaving bosom as she was coming back to life. But <laughs> so I don't know. I'm not, not sure how that works. But but yeah, she now has this rotted, decomposed uh, rib cage. And it's it's another one of the iconic moments. I think there's there's another famous uh, image from this movie uh, that's reprinted in a lot of books where you, it's Barbara Steele standing there kind of in between shots where she has the <laughs> the rib cage chest yeah. piece on and it's, <laughs> it, it's really gory and gross and and one of those crowd pleasing horror moments you know oh yeah for sure yeah it, it's really gross but it looks really cool too again 1960, oh, yeah. 1960 looks great <laughs> yeah sure and, and it's, it's a great visual the, the beautiful face with the hideous body <laughs> uh-huh and then i'm thinking to myself what's gorebeck gonna do is he just gonna like jump on her and use that spike to to kill her like what's gonna happen here and then all of a sudden, we get the priest outside, and he's got the uh, pitchfork and torch-wielding villagers here. So yeah. they're they're yeah. they're going to take care of business. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's great the way they barge in. It's it, it is it becomes like the ending of a Universal monster movie. Yep, with the angry villagers uh, showing up. Very but, much so. Uh, yeah, and um, so they they basically grab her and break the spell because she was starting to. Uh, uh, hypnotize Gorbeck there. Mm-hmm. I, I believe he was about to fall for it. And uh, the priest breaks in just in time and they, they grab her and drag her away. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and the priest uh, says 200 years ago, a storm prevented the flames from destroying her wicked soul. But today her innocent victim, what does he say? Her innocent victims have broken the spell of Satan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're like, there's no storm clouds in the sky, people. Let's get to business. Here. <laughs> yeah. And they, they put her up on the stake. And poor old Gorbeck, he's uh, he's saying, why is Katia taken away from me? You know, and he has a great line here, too, where he says, uh, I love this line. He says, uh, and Asa is dying with Katia's beauty. 
which yeah. is really like adding in, insult to injury. Like, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. we got her, but she's gonna die, and uh, she she uh, drained Katya of her beautiful face. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, what about me? What about my hot chick here? Man? Yeah, exactly. Like, hey, that, come on, <laughs> that's basically the sentiment. Like, like, yeah, you won, <laughs> but you this is the price you paid. And if the movie had ended there, I that would have been maybe fine with me. I kind of like mm-hmm. that down in there. Yeah. Yeah. But instead we get something that's sort of like almost like a Snow White kind of ending. Yes. Uh, he, <laughs> yeah, he, he actually turns away from, from them burning her at the stake because it's ghastly, you know, he looks away. But yeah. then when he turns around, he sees the, the coffin with Katya and she's starting to wake and up wake up. Mm-hmm. And it's almost as if the destruction of Asa's body has returned Kasa. Or I'm sorry. It's almost like the destruction of Asa has returned Katya to life. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and restored her beauty, too. When he runs back to check on her, she appears to be turning back to her beautiful self. Mm, yeah. When those villagers are out there having the barbecue, and it's not like a, a super graphic scene or anything like that. You see the flames getting pretty close and her screaming and stuff like that. But like yeah. I said, then they, they they pan right back into the tomb there. And she, our, our buddy Katya, you know, Barbara Steele, she's getting back to her normal, beautiful self. And that makes Gorobek very happy. And then uh, that's how they, uh, you know, reunite then there. And that's, uh, you know, uh, roll credits, right? Yeah. Well, but what I love there about that very tail end of the movie is, you know, you uh, the, the music becomes very sweet as he's kissing her. But then it mm-hmm. cuts back to the bonfire. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, Roberto Nicolo- Nicolosi's score switches from this romance to a you know, rising crescendo of Ominous. furious horror uh, themes. <laughs> and, and, and the word the end pushes at us from the flames. And, and only then does Bava go to black. So it's like, it's still that horrifying ending. But mm-hmm. but uh, but yeah, what an ending! What an ending! Yeah, they still want you to know you were watching a horror movie. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> we haven't gone that soft. <laughs> no, no, fantastic! But yeah, super moody, atmospheric. You know, like I said, there's there's a bunch of films that came out late fifties, early sixties, like this, where they 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 just hit the the mood and the atmosphere pitch perfect. And this this one's definitely at the top of the heap, right? Oh yeah. Absolutely. And like we were saying at the beginning, this movie basically started a whole movement, which became mm-hmm. the uh, the Italian Gothic horror films of the 1960s and 70s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like you said, too, you know, we had talked, you know, a lot of the, you know, horror giallo guys, they, they really took a lot of uh, uh, things from uh, Bava, you know, the way mm-hmm. he shot things and whatnot. And, and really, that's that's where that all then kind of took off as well, well into the 80s. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and it made Barbara Steele a star, and uh, yeah, it really set things in motion and created almost an entire subgenre, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, and yeah, like you said, Barbara Steele, especially this launched her into the stratosphere. You know, it was mm-hmm. just you know this this really launched her career and well, gosh, again, and, I mean, and launched Bava's career too. I mean, he yep. was basically an assistant cameraman before this, mm-hmm. uh, with, 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 who was going uncredited as a co-director before this, you know? So, mm-hmm. so this put him on the map. And and actually, I mean, he got offers from American studios to come to America and, and film over here. I mean, they clearly recognized what he was doing and how yeah. good he was. But he turned them down. He wanted to stay in Italy, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I don't blame him just simply because, again, like I said earlier, I mentioned how, you know, back then, you the, there were a lot more restrictions on what you could do in the United States versus what you could do in Europe. So I don't blame him for wanting to stay over there, to be honest. 
Yeah, and I think he liked. Well, I just I think he just was a homebody. Mm-hmm. Really, I think that was probably at the heart of it. And yeah, and and yeah, he had more creative control. I mean, he did do. I well, it was Danger uh, Danger Diabolique, wasn't it? That was his one big studio movie. And yeah. uh, and uh, he had to he had a lot more challenges dealing with the the machine of a studio over his head. And so mm-hmm. what does he do? I mean, he got that movie was a hit and he got a lot more offers after that movie to stay there and make another one. And what did he do? He No, he went back to Italy and worked on a very small budget and he made uh, Hatchet for the Honeymoon, which is a great movie. But it was a, <laughs> a great, great movie. But, but it's, uh, despite the cheesy title, it's 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 a great uh, psychological hor- uh, piece and a serial killer type movie and 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 uh, we're a very small budget and very intimate little film. But but. But it's, I mean, it'd probably be on my list of one, one of my favorites of his. It's really good, you know. But that's yeah. what he was able to do on his own when he, by staying in Italy and working small. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And good on him because he made so many really fun, good movies. And I can't yeah. wait to talk about a couple more of them uh, during uh, the Halloween season here. Looking forward to that as well. And yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's a. Uh, it, it's, it's a good one. If you, anybody hasn't seen this one, you need to get out there and watch it um, for sure. You've probably seen stills or uh, I guess in this day and age gifts or, you know, <laughs> you've mm-hmm. definitely seen something from this movie. If you are a horror fan, I, I, I guarantee it. You might be like, oh, I don't know what that's from. But then you're like, oh, that's from that movie. You definitely got to do it to do yourself a favor and, and see this movie. You, you owe it to yourself. Yeah, yeah, for all the reasons we discussed. <laughs> Absolutely. So, all right, well, that's going to you know, wrap up uh, that part of the uh, discussion here. So why don't we transition out to what you have going on? So why don't we talk about uh, your comic, uh, Wolf and Batsy? Why don't we talk about that? Okay, well, the uh, the elevator pitch for Wolf and Batsy is it's the ongoing adventures of a ferocious werewolf and a cute female vampire as they wander the earth looking for a place to call home. But everywhere they go, they end up eating people and getting run out of town. <laughs> so, so uh, it's a little bit horror. It's a well, it's a lot horror, but it's a little bit funny. Uh, it's drawn. Um, if anyone who sees my artwork, I, I I have an art style that's very similar to the old EC horror comics. Uh, that's that's kind of my inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so it has the feeling of an old horror comic. That's kind of. One of my goals with the comic is is if you pick up an issue of Wolf and Batsy, you'll look at it and go, "What era is this from?" <laughs> because <laughs> it has it has sort of 1950s pre-code horror looking artwork, but there's subject matter in there that's clearly <laughs> rated R by today's standards, and and uh, <laughs> it's it's basically me trying to make uh, these kind of exploitation horror movies on paper as a comic book, and and uh, people seem to love it. Uh, since it got picked up at Alterna. Um, the the readership has grown, and I I feel like I get sweet messages and emails and direct messages and private messages every single day, or just people posting on Twitter saying how much they like it. It's been it's been such a gift, you know. It's it's mm-hmm. it's, been, it's been really wonderful the way that this thing has sort of taken off, and so. If you want to see what it looks like, I would say go to my website, which is uh, brianbaugh.net. Mm-hmm. Or, or if you want to order the issues, go to alternacomics.com, where all the issues are there uh, to order. Um, or you can follow me on Instagram, which is brianbaughart, B-R-Y-A-N-B-A-U-G-H, art. Uh, mm-hmm. 
follow me on there. I'm posting regularly uh, images from the comic, but but it's it's fun. It's it's uh, <laughs> people seem to like it. <laughs> yeah, you're on basically every social media you can think of. You're all, you're all over there. And I I'll be honest with you. You when I see your art for Wolf and Batsy, it kind of reminds me of when I see artwork that people will post that um, when Bruce Tim will draw like hammer characters and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. It, it, it kind of reminds me of that where it's like, it, it's, it's a really good homage of, like you said, the older stuff, but with, you know, newer colors and things like that. It, it looks really good. It's great. Your website is fantastic. So everybody definitely wow. needs to check that great website. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Yep. And I'll have all this stuff in the show notes too. your social media, you know, your website and all that stuff in there. Uh, links to to get your stuff over at Alterna as well. You know, good stuff going on there. And you know, you and I had talked beforehand too about uh, some of them. I had bought a couple, and uh, you know, the was it Mister Crypt, the the guy's name? Yeah. Oh yeah, fantastic character that yeah. they have over there. Really fun stuff. A good all ages book, but yeah, great stuff. And everybody definitely needs to check out Brian and Wolf and Batsy. And if I can toss out one more, uh, mm-hmm. uh, absolutely. Um, I also have a YouTube channel. Uh, oh, cool. That I have created just to put up videos to promote Wolf and Batsy. Um, and I've done a series of videos called issue commentaries where I literally go through the issues page by page and sort of explain what was going on in my head as I wrote and drew these crazy monster stories. Um, and those have gotten a great reaction too. So if you want to see, uh, what the issues actually look like, uh, go on YouTube and look me up at Brian Ball art on YouTube. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I'll have to jump on there and subscribe, man. I, I've been doing more uh, YouTube because it's a little easier for me if I'm sitting at my laptop and I'm, you know, uploading things or doing editing or whatever to have that on uh, in the background, you know, because mm-hmm. I guess, you know, it's a, it's a video format, but it's OK. I can just, you know, listen in while I'm doing that and then just peek up every once in a while. So I've been mm-hmm. watching more and more, even even podcasters that use YouTube. I've been, you know, just uh checking some of them out on there too, just to have it going on in the background. But uh, yeah, that's yeah. fantastic. Oh man, I got to check that out. And Hey, <laughs> maybe at some point too, I have watched a couple of people on YouTube, uh, you know, while they're like going through the process of uh, creating like a, a drawing, a page penciling or something like that, or inking a page. Mm-hmm. I, I find that fascinating too. Mm, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe I'll have to create some videos like that. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll definitely be there for it. And yeah, like I said, I'll get that in the, uh, the show notes as well. Anybody wants to check that out, go to YouTube. Like you said, Instagram, your website, you can be found anywhere and everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I so, <laughs> all right. Well, Brian, this is a blast, man. I, I thank yeah. you for doing this. I had a lot of fun with this and, uh, you know, I know you're a busy guy, but uh, you know, Hey, maybe down the road, we can uh, think of another film we might want to talk about or even comics too. That might be an yeah. option. Maybe. Yeah, sure. Heck yeah. Sounds great. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, all right. Well, uh, that's going to be it for this episode. Uh, look forward to more uh, Bava in the month of uh, October here for me. And uh, that's going to get us out of here. But I'll be back in just a minute to wrap things up. In the 17th century, Satan was abroad on the earth, and great was the wrath against those monstrous beings thirsty for human blood, to whom tradition has given the name of vampires. No appeal for pity or mercy availed. Brothers did not hesitate to accuse brothers, and fathers accused sons in the frantic attempt to purify the earth of that horrible race 
of blood-devouring assassins. But before putting them to death, human justice anticipated divine judgment by burning into the flesh of those damned ones the brand of Satan. of Vida. This high court of the Inquisition of Moldavia has declared you guilty. I, the second-born son of Prince Vida, as Grand Inquisitor, do condemn you. And as your brother, I repudiate you. Too many evil deeds have you done to satisfy your monstrous love for that serf of the devil. Igor Yavutich. May God have pity on your soul in this your final hour. Cover her face with the mask of Satan. Nail it down. May the cleansing flames reduce her foul body to ashes so that the wind will obliterate all trace of her existence. who repudiate you, and in the name of Satan, I place a curse upon you. Go ahead, tie me down to the stake, but you will never escape my hunger, nor that of Satan. The unchained elements of the powers of darkness are lying in ambush. Beware, Griabi. My revenge will strike down you and your accursed house. And in the blood of your sons and the sons of their sons, I will continue to live immortal. They will restore to me the life that you now rob from me. Oh, oh I shall return to torment and destroy throughout the night of time. everybody that wraps up this episode once again i want to thank brian for being on the show uh it was a lot of fun having him on time permitting you know i'll definitely have him on again in the future maybe some more uh, horror films and definitely some horror comics as well you know being an indie horror comics creator uh he loves the horror comics as well so uh, definitely gonna have him on again in the future and uh you know this uh, kicked off my mario bava coverage for uh, Halloween season, October 2023. So this is uh, the first episode, and there's going to be three more following every Friday in October. So thanks for listening, everybody. Catch you later. <laughs>